Welcome to Quantum Journeys, a podcast where we explore the fascinating intersections of neuroscience, hypnosis, quantum physics, and the metaphysical. In this mind-bending journey, we will delve into the depths of the human mind, exploring the extraordinary abilities that lie dormant within each of us. We'll uncover the hidden connections between our thoughts, our emotions, and our created realities, and discover how to harness these connections to alchemize a life of abundance, joy, and fulfillment. Welcome to Quantum Journeys Hypnosis Podcast, where we explore the intersectionality between hypnosis, multidimensional consciousness, and all sorts of other good stuff. Today, we're going to be exploring some uh, things that have to do with neuroscience as well as ritual and shamanism. I'm Krista Marie Bowman, founder of Quantum Journeys Hypnosis Academy, and today we have Jess Marion, uh, also known as the Intelligent Hypnotist, which I love. Um, but you are doing some stuff with sacred medicine journeys, and that's what I would really like to focus on today. And so I'm going to ask a really open-ended question, and that is, Jess, how the heck did this come about? <laughs> how did you go from hypnosis to this? Take it away, my dear. <laughs> An awesome question. Uh, and I am so thrilled to be here getting the chat with you again, about, especially about something that I'm really passionate about. And I know for some people who've known me for a long time, this is kind of a 180 from the neuroscience. Like a lot of people know me from like my book on memory reconsolidation and coaching mm -hmm. to go kind of in this other direction. It's a little bit jarring, but uh, the reality is for myself, I am a mix of these two worlds of left brain and right brain, right. Uh, the physical and the magical. And for my own personal journey, I've been involved in uh, meditative traditions and ritual traditions for most of my life for meditative traditions and the entirety of my life for ritual traditions in various forms. Uh, and when I gravitated towards the neuroscience, I had abandoned a lot of that practice or mm -hmm, kind of mm -hmm. did it more nominally than anything else out of a sense of kind of personal commitment to the path that I was on. Right. Um, but did you feel like there was any part of it that was almost like a rebellion? Not particularly. No? Okay. For no. me, it was because I ended up going neuroscience also after being raised very woo. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was a rebellion and I ended up coming full circle. But before you go on, I just wanted to really quickly touch, you know, before I started recording, Jess and I were having a conversation about um, neuroscience and phenomena, like unseen phenomena. And something that I recently ran across is some research into um, people that are able to identify unseen phenomena and actually have greater neural activity in the basal ganglia. So we may in the coming years find that there is a lot more intersectionality between these um, things that would be considered spiritual and neuroscience, which I'm super excited about. And I know we're gonna have a great time talking about that in the future as well. Um, but so you ended up sort of walking away from the the early sort of ritual stuff going on in your, but maybe was that religion? Tell me a little bit about uh that. Yeah, so I uh, was raised in a nominally Catholic family, but went okay. to school for 12 years. So I cannot think gotcha. of a more profound indoctrination into ritual work and, and Catholic and ritual yeah. magic, essentially. Uh, and I know that might ruffle some feathers to say that, right. but kind of how I see it. 
Well, I mean, they've got the incense burners and you've got song, uh, which is chanting, right? I mean, I could see that there would be a lot of crossover or things that are you in have, both camps, you know? We have words that uh, change water or change wine and bread into the body and blood of Christ. Yes. Uh, that is magical. Tons of symbolism. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I don't, I don't mean, say that in order to offend anybody's religious sensibilities at all. Right. Uh, so I don't want to discount the sacredness of anyone's tradition. So I want to be clear about that. Right. This is simply I think it just has to do with the lens right. that you're perceiving it yeah. through. But those, but both have those same elements. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I was also heavily involved in meditative traditions coming out of tantric Buddhism for a long time, which is heavily mm. ritualistic, uh, and then into Hindu practice and into Vedic rituals that I've been practicing really for most of my life. Things like um, different pujas and artis and fire ceremonies. And then, um, and I still do those things. Those things are still very important to me, especially on like certain holidays and things like that. Because uh, I don't believe in ever cutting out a part of one's past. I believe mm -hmm. in a very integrated approach, especially integrated. to spirituality. I think right. to uh, cut things out is a type of spiritual violence. And uh, it's mm. not. Uh, Almost abandoning a part of yourself. Yes. Yeah. Those parts don't go away. And if you do right. that, those parts tend to creep up in really um, potentially problematic ways in our lives. Mm -hmm. So I'm more in tune with integration of the traditions that I come from. Um, and I wasn't always that way. It took a lot of work. Um, there were traumas and things from uh, some of my ritual life in the past that I had to find peace with. But once I did, then it kind of opened doors. Uh, and all the meantime, I'm having like a whole bunch of really weird metaphysical stuff that started in my childhood going on. And some stuff was beautiful and some stuff was very dark yeah. uh, and very it's troubling. Same, by the way. And for a long time, I didn't know how to understand that. I didn't know how to make peace with especially the darker things that happened. Did you have anybody else in your family that was experiencing any of this or had experienced anything like that that you could talk to? Yeah, yeah I, I lived... I lived for eight years in a house that had a very dark entity in it, and it was extremely mm. disruptive. Uh, so everybody in my family, uh, yeah, we can swap interactions with it. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I actually lived in a haunted, quote unquote, house in um, Fort Collins, Colorado, that had at least three entities, and only one was really negative. But um, the other two were actually rather protective of us, which was interesting. Um, at the time even though our whole family had experienced it and even a few friends, you know, I was myself trying to deny and explain it away, justify it, sort of repress it. But in the end, I ended, we ended up moving because I couldn't, it was, it was, it was too much to deny anyway. So you yeah. had these experiences and at least you weren't like, you know, told you were crazy or anything because you, your whole family had had these um, interactions as well. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. it's very interesting about that because it was happening at an age like, you know, six, seven, eight years old where, you know, you're trying to learn what is the difference between real and make-believe. And the things mm -hmm. that are supposed to be make-believe are happening in my material reality. 
Um, so it caused a lot yeah, of Yeah, it's not going to be as easy for like mom to say, oh, there's no monsters under your bed. When Jess, there's, there's, not, there's nothing in your closet, Jess. And then you're like, um, I beg to differ. Actually, it's in the closet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and for a long time, we had moved out of that house and the activity did follow us for a period of time. And then it tended, it died down. And then when I moved away to college, I had a bunch of stuff happen. And for a long time as a family, mm. we didn't talk about it. It was probably mm. about 20 years before we talked about it. And it was almost like this weird amnesia for what had happened for something that I'd lived for a really long time. And when me and my brother started talking about it again, it was like all this stuff flooded back. And I was still left with this question of what is this? Because this doesn't yeah. fit the mold of what religions tell us it is. Right. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense with what science says it is. So I kind of tabled it. For, not Western science anyway, or Western, Western medicine. medicine. Right. Yeah. Empirical science. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so I tabled it for a while and like, I'd still have random stuff. Like I, I had a spirit break my, break my toe like six years ago. <laughs> um, you oh know, my gosh. Periods where electronics will turn on and off. Uh, what that is, I still don't know. I have my theories, but I think anybody who tells you they know what it is, um, they're potentially deceiving you and themselves. Mm -hmm. But that's a different, that's a whole different story we could talk about. Uh, I and think then, the best that we can do at this point is just try and make sense of what's happening to us, but not necessarily yeah. state it as unequivocally, this is what's happening with everyone who has these experiences. Yeah. Right? It's I, very I think individual, very unique to each person. Yeah. I think we can find uh, explanations that make the most sense to us, test it out. Mm -hmm. And if it works, if it holds, great. If not, then we have to reevaluate. But when I started getting into the medicine path, um, sacred medicine for those of us who have these occurrences, uh, if if we're not careful, it can, it can potentially send that stuff into overdrive mm -hmm. um, because Anytime we have an interaction with something in the spiritual plane or multiple spiritual planes, it's a two-way street. So even in the case of like a violent haunting, which is how I would describe what I grew up with, it wasn't just a, a transgressive spirit and a victim family. There was something, and I don't know what it was because I was too young, there was something happening in the dynamic on our side that was allowing that to continue. It's mm -hmm. always a two-way street. No one is ever solely a victim of this stuff. Uh, there is something mm -hmm. that is going on internally, either within a family system. Some or sort of a permission that gives on some permission. level. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, um, and it doesn't mean people invite this stuff. Like this is not right. a victim blaming. Not this consciously is, anyway. Yeah. The way to clear this stuff is to take personal responsibility. Right. So I have stuff kind of go into overdrive. And uh, my second ever medicine journey... And this is not something I typically share outside of people who come on retreat with us who ask, but I think it's kind of pertinent to my biography and what has made mm -hmm. me more into a balanced place between the metaphysical and neuroscience. Uh, I had been laying on the floor doing this, in this inner work for like about an hour or so. I had not moved and I had gotten this incredibly sharp pain in my left shoulder like it was really awful i've never felt anything like that intense in my life uh, and i had said to my guide like hey, my arm and shoulder are hurting and i can't move it i don't know what's going on uh, and he didn't say anything 
Uh, my guide is the amazing Carlos Casados, who was also my partner in Sacred Medicine Journeys. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't say anything for a moment. Then he came over and he's skilled, skilled in body work. He looked up my arm and my entire shoulder popped back in. Mm. And he's like, hey, um, have you ever dislocated your shoulder? And I said, no. And he's like, well, you may have just well, then. just did. <laughs> yeah, okay. but it's back in. I'm like, okay. Things moved on, didn't think much about it. The next day, he showed me a series of pictures that he had taken of me right before he'd come over. And there were entities in this picture. And I've had, I have mm, a professional wow. photographer look at them. These aren't lens flares. There's no explanation for these. You can see apparitions in it right by my shoulder. Interesting. Then I started having a lot of poltergeist activity in my apartment. I had a glass that spontaneously shattered. I had like flowers in a vase that were moving around on their own, like in an apartment with no wind, like wow. shaking. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was having a lot of issues with sleep paralysis and it was really awful. Like I, it was to a point where I thought I was going to lose my mind. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, that sounds very disruptive. Yeah. So the solution to that was to start to do some ritual work to find out what is actually going on here. Mm -hmm. You know, it is this thing from my childhood coming back in my life, or is this something else? Well, long story short, it was something else. Um, to the best of what I can tell, based on the rituals that I did that were efficacious and stopped it, this was a uh, recently deceased ancestor who needed help. Mm, okay. So Interesting way to ask for help, though. It's... Well, they probably figured what's going to get my attention. Right. It needed to be something really abrupt, something that I could not personally push aside and explain away. Hmm. Uh, it had to be in my face. Otherwise, I would have ignored it. Did you it. find out what the um, what the request was? Yeah. You don't uh, have I to share it if you don't yeah, want to. I was, was just curious if you found yeah, out. This, this person had had some real darkness in the physical world in their lived mm -hmm. history. And they needed to be witnessed. They needed help moving on into the next life. Okay. Let's be honest with the world. Yep. I've actually helped a few do that. So that's beautiful. I would like to also just really quickly, you had mentioned um, not to victim blame, but that, you know, on some level, we are giving permission for this to happen. Here's my understanding of this since I've been working with, and, and honestly, if you'd asked me five years ago, if I even believed in entities, I would have said no. But since then I've run into them on a number yeah. of occasions, including within me. So here's my um, take with all of that. I don't think of them as particularly all that different than 3D parasites. Yeah. They just happen to be transdimensional, not just 3D, right? So if we don't take care of our physical bodies, we have a lowered immune system, we are at a greater risk of picking up viruses and bacterial infections. Um, and if we continue to not take care of ourselves, those viruses and bacterial infections can grow within us and we become a host to a much bigger problem. Yeah. Um, I feel that it's very much the same, but on an energetic, sort of emotional and energetic level when it comes to other parasitic behaving entities. Um, and even if they are, this is just my what I've sort of gleaned from sessions with clients as well as what, what has happened with me, even if they are relatively benign, they're not dark, they're not out to cause harm, 
they might even think that they're protecting you or helping you in some way, or maybe they're just hanging on because they don't know where to go. They yeah. kind of missed the boat on that, um, or they're scared to. They're still feeding off of our energy, like our energy body to some degree. Not It doesn't have to be a huge degree. But so my, um, I guess, what I, how do I explain this? Obviously, the best course of action would be to always really maintain the cleanliness of our energetic body, right? So that we're not inviting and giving permission to these entities to attach in any way or, or to even just harass us or disrupt us, right? Sometimes they're going to get through anyway. And, and I think if they're not necessarily dark, you know, maybe that's okay. But sometimes I think that uh, just like when you go to a doctor, like say you have strep. Yes, you could take great care of yourself and probably most of the time clear it on your own. Yeah. But if if it's already like become such a problem that now your body is like not able to really fight it off as well because you've been sick with it for so long, I think that can happen with entities as well. It's really hard to bring yourself back up to that higher frequency, energetic frequency. And so you might as well go see an entity doctor or somebody that can actually help with this. Maybe maybe that's you or Carlos, or I, I have a few. I've got one on speed dial actually at all times. So um, I just wanted to clarify that for me now, that might be something that you see very differently, but I have people that freak out on me when I mention entities. And so, you know, I, I've, um, what I what I often say is like, it's, it's not as scary as it sounds. It's not like the exorcist or anything, um, at least hasn't been in my experience. I'm not saying it can't be. But most of the time, it's more just most like the parasitic it's, entities. Yeah. Like, yeah. It can, be. It, it can be. It can be. But those cases are extremely rare. Yeah. And those instances are outside of my uh, area Me of too. experience. Well, and that would be the person who's like, you know, so yeah. riddled with uh, illness that they live in a plastic bubble if you wanted to like compare it to something in the 3D world, right? Like, it's very rare. So somebody who is so riddled with like massive, dark, very destructive entities. I think it would be as rare as that. It's just very rare. Okay, so we got off track. But the only reason I wanted to say that is because if we're going to be talking about entities, there's probably going to be some people in the audience that are really freaked out. And so well, I, I wanted to I, just like touch upon like, you know, they're a lot more common than maybe people. Well, I think we should expand on this then because okay. um, in the traditions that I come from, but and it's particularly the tradition that I'm initiated in, in terms of ritual magic. Yes, there are these uh, lower level kind of parasites who find entry points, weaknesses in our energy field, uh, weaknesses in our thought patterns. Mm -hmm. They literally like hide between thoughts. It would be one way of like mm. think of him. Um, or Could that be responsible for like really negative intrusive thoughts? Yeah, uh, they, that's they where I run into them. Uh, mm -hmm. I think of it more of, people who continuously fill themselves with darkness mm -hmm. that can open portals unintentionally. Uh, then there are other, are other classes of um, negative entities that aren't necessarily parasitic. They are just beings who are living in their own realm that we accidentally transgress. Mm -hmm. uh, so these tend to be more nature-based spirits. Some nature-based spirits are ally spirits, some are neutral. And some just want to be left alone. 
And if we transgress their territory, um, then they can become agitated and follow us. It makes sense. I mean, if you walk into the lair of a bear, bears are not necessarily interested in harming a human. But if you walk into their cave, they're they're going to react. Yeah. Or if you get even near it, they're going to react. So, yeah, that makes sense. I don't so think this- it necessarily means they're evil. No. In those small cases, you might have a psychopathic bear, but I think it's probably pretty rare. And how you would manage that situation is very different from how you would manage a parasite mm-hmm. because the okay. relationship is different. And then there are these these higher dark stuff that, you know, some people unfortunately come across or are invoked through ritual. Intentionally. Uh, yeah. So uh, there Did are. that happen by accident? Uh, you know, typically not. Okay. Unless somebody doesn't know what they're doing, but typically those types of things, like if you look at the traditions of ritual magic, it's kind of difficult to call on those spirits. Uh, one really has to dedicate themselves to that process or be the victim of that process. If somebody else is engaging in black magic, creating servitors or doing that sort of thing. Which I have absolutely no experience with whatsoever, so I can't even speak to that. That, If you want to get into like kind of the really weird psychedelic holographic universe, we could talk about egregores and servitors because these are these are beings that come into existence through the will of humans. So is this like when people talk about their DMT experiences? Uh, We don't know what those are. Okay. Okay. Those are likely not. In that category so okay. just to kind of define things and i know we've kind of gone far afield but this stuff hey, that's okay we'll bring it back i promise it's a quantum journey we're going to be yeah. all over the place yeah, Not yeah. Linear. <laughs> uh, so servitors come out of at least where i learned from them or learned of them it comes from chaos magic which is okay. a type of western ritual magic that really developed in the 60s and 70s and the idea is through the use of sigils through the use of intention uh, we can create ally spirits that didn't exist before uh, that can do. So things. this is something that we're creating from scratch from, from the ritual, scratch. sort of like um, golems, like the Jewish concept yes. of a golem. Yes. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. A golem without the need of building a physical form. Okay. Uh, so they're usually char- so they're energetic. Usually, they're usually in the form of sigils, which are only decipherable to the magician who creates them. And then the magician can send them off and say, I need you to go do this thing. And if that person okay. happens to have dark intentions, they could send that servitor to cause all sorts of chaos and havoc. I'm and not so- familiar with the term servitor. That comes from chaos magic. I'm going to I'm going to look it up while you're talking because I'm just very curious. So go ahead. Yeah, I, And it may have roots before that, and I apologize to any of the chaos magicians out there if I've grossly misrepresented your form of magic. Uh, it isn't my what I practice. I do practice a couple of things from that tradition, but it's not. I'm only name. finding the academic um, definition anyway. So <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Yeah, and then there's egregores, which are this does exist in my tradition, and it's basically what's the uh, first part of that? Egregore. Egra. E G R A. Yeah, I always E G R A G O R E. On the positive side, Santa Claus would be the example of a cult. Oh, okay. So, oh, so I see. we yep. believe into existence. On the negative side, uh, egregores are collections of negative energy or heavy energy. We, we wouldn't say negative energy in my tradition. We'd say hucha or heavy energy. 
uh, that become conscious, become sentient. Okay. Uh, so we have these types of beings and how we interact with any of these, it depends on the individual and it's different, like dealing, helping someone to um, tr make a truce with a nature spirit. So the nature spirit can be on its way is very different than getting rid of a parasite. Okay. Uh, so to bring it back around to how I got into all of this, like far yes. stuff. <laughs> Uh, after that experience I had with my shoulder and kind of the, the poltergeist activity in my apartment, I thought, you know, I really need to understand this a bit more. I'm kind of tired of these like random metaphysical instances happening in my life and not having any framework to put on it. Uh, sometime later, uh, myself and Carlos had partnered up to create sacred medicine journeys. And it was like, well, if I'm going to help facilitate these experiences as medicine journeys for other people, this stuff can potentially happen. Mm -hmm. uh, we can have spirits walk in. I need to understand how do I manage the space? How do I keep it energetically clean, safe and comfortable? Right. You're just being a responsible steward of the, yeah. of the journey. Right. Yeah. Because the reality is we have people who come in who have a lot of trauma and trauma attracts spirits and they don't intentionally bring stuff in, but you know, potentially. I would like to state. Yeah. Maybe mostly the unhealed trauma. Yes. Right. Well, once not it's just trauma. It, itself. No, once, once it's healed, it's not trauma anymore. Right. Right. Okay. It's not. I, I, the only reason I say that is because I've healed a lot of my own and it has um, transmuted into gifts for me. Yes. So it's not trauma anymore. Exactly. Right. Okay. So yes. just to clarify for the audience. Okay. Continue. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, that stuff can disrupt the group. It can disrupt the individual. So I took a deep dive. It's like, okay, well, neuroscience isn't going to tell me how to manage this stuff. Neuroscience didn't stop the activity in my apartment. Ritual did. Right. Uh, so then I did a, a brief training with a corandera in, from Mexico on holding uh, mushroom rituals, but it didn't go deeply enough for me. Like I got the basic mm. structure of how to run a Mazatec ritual, but I'm not Mazatec. So problem number one, um, and right, right. I don't pretend to be, uh, it's just not my foundation. And it, I had a lot of unanswered questions. Uh, so I was very fortunate around the same time as I had wrapped that up, I was presented with the opportunity to train with Apaco, a medicine man from the Andes, uh, from mm. the tradition and learn how they facilitate sacred journeys. And they uh, typically, th this particular Paco works with Wachuma, which is San Pedro or Mescaline, as okay, well as okay. ayahuasca. Uh, I don't work with ayahuasca. I don't serve ayahuasca. I physically can't take ayahuasca. So it's just not, it's not my thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I do work from time to time with Wachuma. Uh, but I found that the things that I'm learning from him easily translate. It doesn't matter the medicine because how you approach the medicine uh, and how you approach the ritual space is the same. It's the relationship because each medicine is unique that creates the subtle differences. Uh, so I really right. dived deep and started doing really intense ritual work, at, both in the medicine space, but also daily outside the medicine space. And it started to create profound change in my life and started opening up a lot of wonderful opportunities that really complemented everything that was happening in the medicine space. So for me, uh, it really signaled that there's something to this. And on well, top and of also, you know, humans are very ritualistic 
animals. Like we are, we tend to ritualize everything. And I think that that's been true um, from origins of humanity, you know, looking at ancient Neolithic structures, we can see that there, that that's ritual has just been a part of our species for a very, very long time. And even in modern day, people who don't consider it at all, but, you know, waking up and having a morning cup of coffee is a ritual. Yes, it is. You know, waking up and taking uh, your morning walk with your dog is a ritual. Um, Checking your phone, first thing, which I am not a fan of, so don't do that. But anyway, (laughs) neuroscience says, and I totally agree, don't do that. But if you do, that is also a ritual. It's not a great ritual, but it's a ritual. So um, smoking is a ritual, like all of these things, and they can be for good or they can be for not so good. So I, I, I honestly feel like rituals are a way of infusing whatever it is we're doing with intention, if we're doing it mindfully, and um, increasing whatever the frequency of that thing is, the energy frequency. Yeah, yeah I agree. And I, I think it's really useful to define ritual here. And there's like tons yes, of please. definitions. I was actually in preparation for this, going back in time, because my background before I was a hypnotist, I was a medical anthropologist before I was a medical anthropologist. Oh, wow. I had I a master's that. degree in comparative religion. So I've wow. been in kind of the academic side to this stuff as well. And a lot of the academic yeah. uh, academic definitions of ritual, uh, they get kind of wordy and I don't really care for them. I don't think they're necessarily wrong, but I don't think they're fully right. Uh, so I like to think of ritual as being transition points. They're moments of transformation in our daily life. And we have two types of ritual. We have our unconscious rituals, like you said, the cup of coffee, Mm -hmm. which science also says, don't do that first thing in the morning, wait an hour. Ah. Um, I actually drink a green juice first, but then I have coffee second. (laughs) Yeah. If you wait an hour, then it will ensure that you don't have a caffeine crash. Oh, I didn't know that. That's good to know. Thank you. Yeah. It's uh, from Huberman lab. So it's not mine. I didn't invent that. You can go to to Dr. Yeah. Huber. And I listened to him too, but I haven't caught that one. So, yeah. Um, so you have these unconscious rituals, the coffee drinking, the for the smoker, the smoking, brushing our teeth. Mm-hmm. If you look at these, these are all transition points. The coffee fr- transition from morning into workflow. Right. For the smoker, right. transition from work to relaxation or whatever, depending on which right. cigarette you're smoking. Teeth brushing transition from maybe the, you know, first thing in the morning into the rest of the day or in the evening into the night. Sleep, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are kind of haphazard rituals. They could be better right. if we infuse them with intention. With intention. And we have the, the conscious rituals. These are the things that we do spiritually. Or even um, you can make coffee or tea or your green juice a conscious ritual that, that is infused with intention and spirituality. I actually do with my green juice. I have a little um, uh, gratitude thing that I say to the vegetables and the fruits as I'm, as I'm smashing them to smithereens. <laughs> Beautiful. It, it, it does change. It does change the effect. Um, I like to think of when I do this stuff, because I am a practitioner of cacao ceremonies. I also work daily with two other plants. I work with kava and also Kratum, um, which Are you going to be doing a cacao ceremony at um, HypnoThoughts Live this July not, not this year. Okay. Not this year as of now. Okay. I was hoping to actually catch one with you. So that's why I was asking. So make sure you let me know. And I can also let our listeners know whenever we find that out. So I sure will. Uh, yeah, we don't have one planned for this year. We are doing a one-day post-conference that's going to be a cannabis ceremony. That's a full-day experience. 
which will be very special, but that's slightly different than working with cacao. Right, right. Um, so I work with plants daily or near daily, and I infuse it with ritual. I infuse the cacao with ritual because when I first engaged with cacao, it was in a ritual setting. So that's, I like doing that. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily engage with coffee in the same way. I have unconscious rituals around coffee, but it's, I'm not going to light, I'm not going to light some copal and ring some bells for my coffee. I'm just right. going to go to Starbucks and take my computer and that's fine. Um, then other substances, like I work with kava and kratum in the evening and uh, both are beautiful plants, but unfortunately kratum has a really bad right now reputation in the West because mm-hmm. people don't engage with it ritualistically. They yeah. engage with it, it. Uh, with a mindset of um, uh, addiction or like need. And that creates a lot of problems. That's wrong relationship. Well, that also opens up the invitation to the entities that we were talking about. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it can. Uh, it can do a uh, best case. It can cause health problems. It can cause psychological dependency issues because the sacredness has been pulled out of it. Right. And something like with that plant, which was traditionally used in Southeast Asia as a mild stimulant, farmers uh, and uh, pickers in the fields would chew kratum leaves as a stimulant to get down, get done the workday. And in the West, uh, because of how it is refined here and how the products are produced, it's much stronger mm-hmm. than in a traditional setting. So if we don't introduce some ritual to it, if we don't introduce some mindfulness to it, there is a potential for things to go awry. So now we have an instance of mindful ritual, not only creating positive benefit, but also now creating a protective barrier, a protective ritual context for engagement. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Um, The concept of creating a protective barrier. What do you think about rituals as permission slips? Because that's something that I talk about a lot in one of my other groups, this... um, uh, healing group that I have that meets um, a couple times a week, but you know where when we're working on infusing something with inten- intention to manifest a certain desired result, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that the ritual part is not necessary for the result, but that it gives our consciousness um, a route to be like, okay, so here's where we're going. And this is the intention, but I think it also gives our emotions a permission slip to go ahead and bring that to existence you know our emotions and our body and um other aspects of our consciousness i should say perhaps but uh do you know what i'm talking about like writing like you know something down so many times as a ritual to you know gratitude or something um but that it's not absolutely necessary to do that in order to bring about whatever that desired result is it's more a way to focus the intention, but also to give us permission to go ahead and allow the thing to happen. I would take that? a slightly different frame here. Okay. This is be- because of my own psychology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if that, you know, that works, that's really great for me personally. And when I work with clients introducing ritual, permission is too passive. Okay. Ritual puts you at cause. Interesting. It makes you responsible for that thing that you want to manifest. It's no longer, I'm allowing the universe to bring this to me. No, I'm storming heaven and demanding the universe bring this to me. Um, because if we we could do like all the best ritual in the world, um, but if we don't ground it in physical action and mindset and behavior, uh, 
then it's a, you know, it's a roll of the dice. Maybe you have a wonderful mm. my spirit who's going to bring it to you anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that does happen. Miracles absolutely happen. Right. Uh, however, if we want to continuously engage, it becomes 50% the divine and 50% us. And this mm-hmm. is what my magical tradition teaches anyway, that uh, we we can't solely be passive because if we are, it's not going to happen. And if there's an imbalance, if we are putting too much effort, then there isn't enough room for the divine to step in and help because mm, we're putting okay. it out. Right. And if we don't put enough effort, if we're relying on the divine to carry us, uh, then that's not really in the patterning of Right. So that would be like the, 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 the desperate prayers, right? Yes. Yeah. And that, that we, that just doesn't work. Although that typically I think is what people think of when they think of prayer, but yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting. I like what you said, like storming the heavens and just saying, stating like the demand. Um, and it reminds me, do you, what's your, what's your take on spirit guides or helpers got uh, unseen helpers? Oh, we have them. Okay. Uh, yes. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. Um, And I recently fired one of mine. And things have improved dramatically. Um, (laughs) And it wasn't that that one, it it believed it had my best interest at heart. It absolutely believed that. But it was um, doing things based on an old program that I had agreed to that has already been fulfilled and is no longer necessary, but it was still doing that. So yeah, I basically just fired it and requested a new one that was willing to to support me in the way that I'm doing things now and found that and overnight things changed overnight. Yeah. It was, I, it never even occurred to me prior to that though. It was in meditation that this happened. And I was like, wait, I can do that. That's a thing. Not, yes. Because request a different one. Hmm. If we look at how, how we get guides, we are born into this world with guides who have mm-hmm. agreed to help us. Um, and they may be a few, they may be many, it depends. Uh, we can think of them. They might, they might be in the same class as guardian angels. I don't really know. That's above my pay grade. To make I feel sense. like, yeah. And there's, there's lots of different ones too. Yeah. It's not necessarily then, just one. Then um, we have yeah. guides who appear in the physical form and then stay with us after death. Uh, I, my childhood dog has not left my side in all of these years. Mm. Uh, and I've had psychics who didn't even know I had a dog see her. So wow. Yeah, uh, and I don't think I don't think she'll go anywhere anytime soon. Then we have guides who will come in for a specific purpose at a specific time, like, and a, then, like first just a season in order to bring about whatever the thing is. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we acquire helping spirits through lineage, uh, and that that is if someone takes initiation in a particular uh, tradition, they are granted access to the spirits of that tradition or that lineage. Um, so, as I mentioned, that's I'm, something I don't know much about. I'm initiated so, uh, in the seven rays uh, lineage of Chinchero Peru. And this is okay. Andean, high Andean Incan magic. Wow. And, healing. and to do magic. It's in very the, intimidating. It, it, <laughs> it is. No, it isn't just me making things happen. Nothing magical happens without the help of spirit allies. So we trust our spirits to do the things we need done. So if I need to do a clearing of a space or help someone rid themselves of an attachment, 
I'm not going to talk to that negative entity beyond get out of here. I'm going to talk to my spirits and say, hey, guys, can you help me clean this up? Right. They are going to have that conversation. Or if I want to manifest something, hey, spirits, this is the this is what we're doing with this ceremony. Help me out. Uh, I didn't have access to those spirits until I was initiated. And once I went through uh, the initiation, the Karpai, is what the initiation is called, then I can communicate with them. Uh, after I went through that, the, the initial initiation, because there's a series of initiations you go through as you're training, uh, they made themselves very apparent, like mm. very interesting metaphysical things that were positive now started happening in my life and in my apartment. Ah, uh, so, and so, yeah, at some point there's no denying it, right? Yeah, yeah. so we can gain them through initiation as well. Right. Um, and prior to going live today, we were also talking about some terms that are sort of problematic. And before we get into the one that we're talking about, I personally very rarely use the word spirit or spiritual mm -hmm. because um, because it has come to mean a lot of things in current popular culture that I don't align with. Um, and that does that isn't to say that I that I that I don't believe that there is a spiritual realm. It's just that it's the 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 definition of it has come to mean things that I don't align with. Um, so often when I'm talking about spirit guides, I'll use that term because people understand it. Yeah. But to me, they're just unseen guides and they can be from all different sort of, you know, like might have an angelic realm, you might have an ancestor, you might, you know, like the elementals, there's lots of different ones. Wow, what a whirlwind conversation this has been, huh? In fact, it's been such a whirlwind conversation that I had to break it up into two conversations. So thank you so much for tuning in to this wonderful, amazing podcast with our guest, Jess Marion, and tune in to part two, where we start to tackle some more difficult subjects like the problems with using words like shamanism and even spirituality. Thanks for tuning in to Quantum Journeys, the podcast. Well, thank you so much, my intrepid travelers. Did that last episode blow your mind? We journeyed deep into the intersection of quantum healing, the science of consciousness, hypnosis, and the metaphysical. And let's just say reality isn't always quite what it seems, is it? But fear not, there is much more to come. This is only just the beginning. Quantum Journeys podcast is your passport to mind-bending adventures where we push the boundaries of what is possible. So stay curious, stay open, and remember the power to change everything lies right there within you. We'll meet again soon on the Quantum Frontier. This is Chris and Marie Bowman, your Quantum Journey.